This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Wednesday, July 19th. I'm Gavin McGough. And I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, new program connects undocumented residents with health care. Results are in from short-term rental study. An old Hollywood hamlet. And a mountain weather forecast. Late last year, Hoel, a resident of Telluride, began to experience chest pain and mysterious bouts of fainting at night. He decided it was time to visit the doctor. Joel, who is originally from Mexico, speaks through an interpreter. Over the last four months, I had fainted a couple times at night. And the last time I fainted, I couldn't get up by myself. I hurt my back and I couldn't get off the floor after my fall. This is why the doctor was worried about me. And he got me in touch with another specialist in Denver, and he determined that I needed this surgery to put a machine in my heart. Joel was first seen at the Telluride Medical Center for his condition. After that, he traveled to Denver for a consultation with a cardiologist. That doctor was able to diagnose his condition, a rare inflammation of the heart muscles. But, Joel continues, But they couldn't help me there since I had no insurance. They got me in touch with doctors in Montrose, and eventually doctors in Montrose got in touch with a doctor in Grand Junction. And they set me up to have heart surgery on June 17th. Joel still bears the evidence of his surgery in the form of two deep scars on his chest where the surgeon implanted a cardioverter defibrillator, a device which supports a broad range of heart functions. Amidst his medical emergency, a nurse at the Telluride Medical Center encouraged Joel to sign up for insurance through a program called OmniSalute. She told me that I qualified and encouraged me to sign up because I need to be seen every three months for my heart condition. And this could be true for my whole life going forward. This is my first time I've had health insurance. I can get a discount in Montrose and also here at our clinic in Teheran. Joel is an undocumented immigrant. And just a year ago, there was no real pathway in Colorado for him and other undocumented residents to receive health insurance. OmniSalute changed that when the new program began accepting enrollees last November. For Howell, the insurance was life-changing. Other enrollees in the program express a similar sentiment. Simona, who lives in Telluride, enrolled as well. She, too, speaks through an interpreter. This is the first time I have this type of health insurance. I have to go to the doctor every three months to get my sugar checked. I would have to pay every time I went to the doctor. And now because of this health insurance, I am covered and don't have to pay for every single doctor's visit. Simona says after only a few months, she is already seeing the benefits of her insurance. Economically, this is going to be one of the biggest changes in my life. I can already see a very positive impact in my finances. Prior to OmniSalute, undocumented residents were hesitant to sign up for health insurance as their information could be sent to the federal government. OmniSalute, a state program, keeps their information secure. The program offers subsidized health care plans through the Connect for Health Colorado Marketplace, which was set up as part of the Affordable Care Act. 
In its first year, OmniSalud offered only 10,000 spots. Leslie Sparks worked with the Tri-County Health Network to get immigrants enrolled. She says interest was high. Connect for Health Colorado was, you know, kind of thinking that we wouldn't fill these 10,000 spots, that, you know, it might, that might be a, a far reach. However, that was not the case, and the 10,000 spots filled up pretty quickly. Sparks says currently it does not look like the state will be expanding the program. Additionally, she reports... Does not sound like people can auto enroll for OmniSalute, so everyone will have to reapply, and it will be, you know, just like it was last year, where it's on a first come, first serve basis. While users of OmniSalute testify to the life changing impacts it has had on their lives and their finances, some of the program's uncertainty has not gone unnoticed. Here again is Joel. A lot of people have been benefiting from it. Without OmniSalud, I don't think I would have been able to get this surgery. The only downside about this insurance is that it's only for a year and its future is uncertain. In other states, you can have insurance for life. It would be nice if this program was more secure. For Sparks, witnessing the impacts of the program in its first year simply emphasizes the importance of health care for all. We do need to work towards everyone being able to receive the health care they need and that it's not based on your socioeconomic status, immigration status, that, you know, we all need health care. The annual open enrollment period for OmniSalud begins again on November 1st, and Sparks encourages anyone interested in enrolling or re-enrolling in OmniSalud to act early, as the program may fill quickly. Interpretation and reporting on this story was made possible by Luis Tavares, Camila Vizaco, and Jimena Rebolledo-Leon. In 2021, Telluride voters passed Ballot Measure 2D. The measure increased the cost of business license fees on short-term rental units with the funds dedicated to the Affordable Housing Fund and placed a two-year moratorium on new short-term rental licenses. This November, that two-year pause will end. As such, the town of Telluride is collecting data on short-term rentals and their impact to help inform potential policy decisions around short-term rentals. The town hired consultants' economic planning systems to conduct a study on short-term rentals, focusing on two key questions. How important are STRs to the Telluride region's economy, and how might STRs be affecting the availability of long-term housing for the workforce and other people and residents in need of housing? After several months of study, results are in. I'm excited to report out that uh, I'm our first kind of data dump uh, of uh, from EPS um, to the public. That's Telluride Town Manager Scott Robson speaking at a town council meeting last week. Next week, Telluride will host two open houses to share information on the survey and get feedback from the community. Uh, EPS can provide kind of that first big data dump really describe their methodology behind um, what was collected and how and why it was collected, and then begin to take that first kind of rounds of um, 
input and feedback from the public, whether they're in the lodging sector, or real estate, or or uh, any other um, stakeholder in kind of the housing world or lodging world. Robson says EPS will then share the same information to town council in August, but he says getting that initial feedback from the public is vital. We continue to really feel strongly that giving uh, the public as much transparency and as much ability to interact with the the data and ask questions um, as we move towards some policy decisions here in the fall related to short-term rental policy. We really want that transparency and involvement um, to occur before uh, they're even in front of you at the podium here in in council chambers. The short-term rental study open houses will take place on Tuesday, July 25th at the AHA School for the Arts. There will be two chances to attend, one at 1 p.m. and another at 5.30 p.m. To go or not to go? That is not the question. Telluride Theater's rendition of Hamlet in the Park is a combination of music, nostalgia, sword fighting, and good old-fashioned Shakespearean tragedy. KOTO reporter Grace Richards turned the spotlight to Hamlet's cast and crew for a preview of this year's production. Charlotte, the stage manager, says she is highly entertained by their antics. That's been the highlight of the show, is watching these actors do the weirdest things you've ever thought. Their warm-ups get funnier every day. Actor James Van Hooser says this year's production of Hamlet strays from traditional interpretation, paying homage to old Hollywood classic, Singing in the Rain. Sort of an old Hollywood vibe, and so there, there's some dances, and um, Ophelia does quite a bit of singing, and there's, there's a little bit of singing throughout the show. I think it's a really fun and interesting take on Hamlet. Singing in the Rain deals with Hollywood's transition from silent to talking films. It is beloved for its jolly soundtrack, sweeping romance, and lush dance sequences. It might be difficult to imagine how Hamlet, a famous Shakespearean tragedy, could mesh with this classic 1950s musical comedy. But director Becca Wolf says that the two have more in common than one would think, that Shakespeare conjured humor and life around the sadness that's at the heart of the play. And both Hamlet and Singing in the Rain explore how people deal with change and loss. Here I think it's an exploration of death and what it means to be a human being after death, meaning, of course, we can't know what happens to ourselves after death, and and Hamlet explores that to be or not to be, but also that we are different after death, after someone we love has died, we're changed. Hamlet is about traversing periods of transition and how that transforms people. We think of getting ready for change if we just prepare for it and want it that it might happen and I think that that you know there's this duality between the need for action but then there's also just so much mystery we don't know why things change when they do there's kind of alchemy to it actor Simon Perkovich adds that the ambiguity and unexpectedness of change in Hamlet's life makes the play feel all the more real and meaningful and you can find monologues and pieces of the play that that are almost suitable to anybody. Anybody who's lived a life has a moment that's been like Hamlet's. As opening night draws closer, Van Huser says that the cast's anticipation is building. My favorite thing about opening night is just sharing this uh, amazing space 
with an audience. You know, we're out here on Town Park stage with incredible views to Ajax, and uh, it's just a really special place to get to do theater, and I'm honored to get to be involved. The show runs from Friday, July 21st to Sunday, July 29th. Tickets are available at TellurideTheater.org. The town of Tomboy will be a ghost town no longer, as U.S. Forest Service workers are planning bridge repairs near Imogene Pass. The work will close the road, so for at least a few days, the pass will no longer be passable. Jeepers and recreators can still head up Tomboy Road from both the Uray and Telluride sides, but will need to turn around near the worksite just below Tomboy Town. The work will begin on Monday, July 24th. The Forest Service hopes to conclude the work and reopen the road by Sunday, July 30th. But work could extend through early August. The San Miguel Basin Fair continues this week and into the weekend with a full schedule of events at the Norwood Fairgrounds. Although such highlights as the dessert competition and the 4-H horse show are behind us, lamb, goat, and cattle showmanship competitions are still all to come this Thursday through Saturday. The fair celebrates the agricultural and ranching heritage of the West End. Friday and Saturday, the Norwood School will be open with 4-H displays on view. The fair will mark its final day, Saturday the 22nd, with a barbecue beginning at 11.30 a.m., the catch-a-heifer contest following at 1, and a family dance to close out the weekend at 8 p.m. A detailed schedule can be found at sanmiguelcountyco.gov slash fair. Congresswoman Lauren Boebert's second quarter fundraising fell far short of Democratic challenger Adam Frisch in the race for Colorado's third district. Frisch raised more than three times the amount of money than Boebert did between April and July. The former Aspen City Council member brought in more than $2.5 million compared to just over $800,000 for Boebert. Frisch outraised Boebert by more than $1 million in the first quarter of the year. The 2024 election will be Frisch's second attempt to unseat Boebert after he lost by only a few hundred votes last year. Visitors to the Bridger Teton National Forest in Wyoming have a new way to stay informed on fire risks, staying safe, camping tips, and more. The forest launched a new AM radio station last week and is getting a boost from a well-known celebrity. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KHOL's Hannah Mersbach has more. This is Harrison Ford. Hot, dry summers mean a campfire can rapidly spread, becoming a wildfire. Harrison Ford is an avid conservationalist who has property in the region. He recorded messaging for Bridger Teton National Forest about safety that will be front and center on the station this summer. Did you know you could be held responsible for a hefty fine and suppression costs? Drown your campfire before you leave. For information... The new AM station will also give people news about local wildlife and how to store food properly. Scott Kosaba leads Friends of the Bridger Teton, the fundraising arm for the forest. He says the idea for the station came during the COVID-19 pandemic. 
Visitors were flocking to forest land without seeing a park official who could give them advice on staying safe. Compared to the national parks where you are entering into, you're crossing a threshold, you're making eye contact with a park ranger, and you're getting those, that information directly from a human. Radio receivers are now planted at the ranger stations in Jackson and Moran, and the airwaves even reach the top of Teton Pass. Bridger Teton's radio station is 1710 on the AM dial. No, before you go. Hannah Mersbach, K12 News. When it comes to the Colorado River, nobody uses more water than farms in California's Imperial Valley. As the Southwest looks for ways to cut back on water use in the face of a drying climate, they're likely to find some in the hot, sunny valley near the Mexican border. KUNC's Alex Hager reports on what it will take for the valley's farmers to conserve. Jack Vesey is behind the wheel of his white pickup, cruising past farm fields as far as the eye can see. Uh, this was spring mix over here. This was iceberg lettuce over here. That was spinach and romaine back there and more spinach back there. His now family has been growing in the Imperial Valley since the 1940s, another, uh, and this place grows a lot. The valley produces crops and livestock valued at about $3 billion each year, and to do that, it uses more water than any other farm district or city along the Colorado River. It's anywhere from 90 to 95 percent of, of any lettuce you're going to eat from mid-November through March is going to come from Colorado River water. And without that water, we're not, you know, uh, we're not growing hot Cheetos for your kids. We're growing medicine for your kids. That supply of Colorado River water, which flows to homes and businesses from Wyoming to Mexico, is shrinking. Climate change is putting less water in, but people have not done enough to take less water out. States and the feds are looking for ways to cut back, and naturally they're ramping up scrutiny on the region's biggest user. On another farm field, John Hawk steps out of his pickup and dons a ball cap to keep the baking summer sun out of his eyes. Do we need to conserve? Absolutely. We need to conserve, but we need to be paid for the conservation. Hawk is another multi-generational farmer. He says the answer is relatively simple. Want farmers to adopt new technologies that use less water? Pull out your wallet. We could use drip or use uh, sprinklers, but... But you got to remember that the cost goes way up in a crop. And so how are we compensated for doing that? Another farmer says he knows what he would do with that money because he's already doing it. Alex Jack is walking into a field of alfalfa hay watered through drip irrigation, which waters the notoriously thirsty crop more efficiently. It's like farming with an eyedropper. It's just uh, incredible preciseness for each plant. If he was king for a day, Jack says he'd help pay for more farmers to install it. You know, if you go back and get your grandma's car that had a big V8 in it and everything else, not very good gas mileage, it was big, made out of steel, very heavy, clunky. Nowadays, you look at that car and think, oh my God. Well, unfortunately, a lot of farmers are still driving their grandma's cars, so to speak, when it comes to irrigation. For Jack, new tech in his fields has been expensive, but resulted in higher yields. And he says the Imperial Irrigation District is standing in the way of widespread adoption. They represent the farmers and serve as a clearinghouse for federal and state funds. The district recently proposed big cuts to their take from the river in exchange for money from the Inflation Reduction Act. 
Tina Shields is one of the district's water managers and says even a big check wouldn't solve the problem overnight. You can't make everybody happy. I mean, if you have 10 farmers, you have 10 different opinions on what the best program is because they're going to advocate for what works for their business model. But there's one more thing that adds a layer of complication. Water law in the West says that people who started using it first will be the last to face cutbacks in times of shortage. And imperial farmers, they were first. They have some of the most legally untouchable water rights in the basin. John Hawk watches water pour onto one of his fields, washing out the salt and getting things ready for another season of growing. He says other places should be on the hook to conserve water first. Don't crowd to the front of the line. It doesn't work. And you'll get a fight out of me. I'll grab you by the neck and say, listen, pal, you pay your dues just like our forefathers did. And as policymakers keep grinding away at new rules for sharing the Colorado River, one thing is clear. The end result is probably going to be expensive, unpopular, or maybe both. In Imperial County, California, I'm Alex Hager. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for partly cloudy skies tonight with a slight chance of showers and a low near 50 degrees. Thursday should be breezy and partly sunny with a chance of thunderstorms in the afternoon and a high near 85. Thursday night, expect mostly clear skies and a low near 45. Friday calls for sun with a high near 85, followed by a mostly clear night with a low near 45 degrees. This has been the news for Wednesday, July 19th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. Kodo News will be off on Thursday to broadcast the Women's Softball Championship game live from Town Park. We'll be back with our regularly scheduled news programming on Friday. And now, a personal commentary. This is Yvette Hinson with Colorado State University Extension in the San Miguel Basin. Come join us on July 27th from about 8.30 to 3 in the afternoon to learn about the lovely high elevation wildflowers at the subalpine site Calico Trail. Calico Trail is located roughly between Lizardhead Pass and Dunton. You will learn plant families and key characteristics as well as human and ecological relationships. Class size is limited, so sign up in advance. $25 a person. Sorry, no dogs. For more details and to sign up, call 970-327-4393 or email maryw at sanmiguelcountyco.gov. We hope to see you there. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at Koto. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.